0: Well, during our Proverbs series, uh, I promised I would preach on Proverbs 31. And so this will mark the, the first time I've actually preached an explicitly Mother's Day sermon. Uh, so um, we recognize it, but we, we just cont- usually continue in the study of where we are uh, in the scriptures. And so since we were going to be in Proverbs, and we actually wrapped that up a little bit ago, uh, proverbs thirty one just sitting here begging for us to uh, to look at it together and so we 're going to look at the woman who fears the lord we 're going to be looking at that through this famous passage in proverbs thirty one and uh looking from verse ten to verse thirty one and uh, and so uh, just before we go too far, remember that proverbs is Am I missing something? Am I doing something? Let me use this. Okay. So remember that Proverbs is designed to be a mirror for us. That uh, to read Proverbs rightly, if you read it as just a how-to guide, you're going to get obliterated today. Uh, or any time you pick up the book of Proverbs, because you're going to see how far short you fall. And so uh, it really, what ought uh, to come out of the book of Proverbs is that it reflects our life back to us, that we see deficiencies, we see some blind spots, and that's okay, we don't hang our head in shame and walk out just uh, feeling beat up. Uh, it is God merely uh, gently uh, revealing an aspect of our life where we desperately need his grace. So it's kind of like the law. Because the law is God's perfect standard for life, and then we we fall short of it, it doesn't mean that we don't teach the law. It means that it just reminds us all the more of our need of grace. And so if today you see uh, that you may fall short in some way, maybe right there, ask God to move in that area of your life. Because in Proverbs 31, this is a passage that has led many women to feel a lot of shame. Like, I am not that. Uh, well, I'm not doing that. I'm certainly not that. And Thanks, Keith, for ruining my Mother's Day, right? Uh, because this really is a depiction of a woman that, in all honesty, uh, might not exist, uh, because all the women that are named in the Bible fall woefully short of Proverbs 31. But it really is kind of this, uh, this picture of, of... It really is an acrostic poem taking each letter of the Hebrew alphabet and, and going in successive order, telling the story of an ideal picture of excellence of a woman. One commentator said... That she, the, the woman espoused in Proverbs thirty one, embodies not one only one woman, but rather the desired attributes of many. And you'll see as we look at it uh, why uh, that would be the conclusion. And so we're going to be in Proverbs thirty one, starting in verse ten, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. Would you stand with us? It's just we we stand on purpose. Uh, we stand as an expression of our submission to the word of God. God is speaking, and we long to hear from him. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. Uh, he puts in puts her she puts her hand to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She hold, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. Let's pray. Father, would you take uh, this passage, and will you use it for us, Uh, God, uh, challenge us in what you call us to. Yet, Father, I pray that you would really Have us uh, cast ourselves on your grace this morning. Uh, Father, for children in this room, for men in this room, for husbands in this room, Father, challenge us in uh, how we ought to uh, cherish uh, and praise and enjoy uh, the, the women that you have put in our lives, wives, mothers, And Father, I pray that you would challenge us in that as well. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. May be seated. So, my brother and his family are in town this week from San Diego, California. Came in for his birthday and Mother's Day. And uh, so, it's great to be gathered as a family. And just thinking about my mom on Mother's Day, uh, an amazing. Woman, she trusted in Christ when I was six. Is when she came to know the Lord. She went from a church goer, uh, which was more based on tradition and uh, just uh, just something that was a part of their life, but she didn't know Christ. And so she came from a church goer to one who knew Christ and trusted in Him for her salvation. You might be sitting here now saying, what's the difference between a church goer and someone who trusts in the Lord? And hopefully that will become clear as we go. Because she, after that, she became a ferocious student of God's word. Uh, she would... Uh, just spend years in various Bible studies, eventually teaching her own uh, and would lead Bible studies. Uh, When we moved her up here from Florida, it was box on top of box on top of box of her notes from all of her Bible studies. Uh, And, you know, on vacation, I would sit in the back of the van and we would play this this game like Trivial Pursuit. It was called Bible Trivia. I hated playing that with my mom because she would destroy us. uh, And there wasn't a question that I could ask her that she didn't know. Like, I think she missed some on purpose just to give us a chance. Uh, And she would pray. Oh, how she would pray. Drove us nuts. We're driving through the parking lot. Lord, please open. I'm like, come on, Mom. And sure enough, she knew God was in her life because God was constantly at work. She was not deterred by our attitude of wondering, is God really in the midst of parking spaces, which he absolutely is. She loved us. She loved our friends. And she lived in front of my brother and I, a love for the Lord. And when she came to know Christ, it was her mission in life that my brother and I would know Jesus. Now, before you get the wrong picture, she would tell you an opposite story. She would wonder how, she, how, how, how deeply she messed us up as a mother. Isn't it interesting? As she, every mom feels like I've just messed my kids up. But yet, God in his grace uses a, a humble mom in living life in front of her kids, teaching us and showing what it is to follow Jesus. Her children rise up and call her blessed. I got to really experience that, and you think of all of the impact that a mom has on her family and one one of those really easy uh, things to point to is the benefits of family dinner and and typically moms are typically the ones that are bringing that and making that a a, a moment but Social study after social study point to the benefits of a family eating together. You know, Harvard Graduate School of Education, you know, a family therapist, she said, you know, I sort of half joke that I could be out of business if more families had regular family dinners. Interesting, because so many of the things that I try to do in family therapy actually get done and accomplished around regular dinners together around the dinner table. Higher self-esteem, better academic performance, a greater sense of resilience, a lower risk of substance abuse... Lower risk of teen pregnancy, lower risk of depression, lower likelihood of developing eating disorders, lower rates of obesity, better cardiovascular health, bigger vocabulary in preschoolers, healthy eating patterns, and they go on and on and on, the benefits of children that eat together as a a family around the table, and in large measure, moms are the ones that make that happen. Yet, according to uh, the Smithsonian, uh, in, in their, uh, their articles that they publish, when dinner is served, the food is, quote, often met with wines and complaints. Have they been to our house? You know, as reacher- researchers reported, we rarely observed a meal in which at least one family member, so dads, you're in the mix too, uh, one family member didn't complain about the food they were served. So this entire sheet is the benefits of family dinner, and yet when it happens, someone at the table complains and moans, and mom say, is it worth it? And God says, absolutely. Keep on. So as we look at Proverbs 31, uh, we have to understand the context of Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 was not written to a woman. The audience of the book of Proverbs is whom? It is a father writing to a son. Early in 30, in chapter 31, it's a mother teaching her son. And so the audience of Proverbs is a son. And so it's not... Here, wives, this is your how to guide. It is sons. This is what you ought to value. Because think about it for a second. Think about why is verse 30 of chapter 31 so important? Because the context is to a son charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Some versions would say beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So sons, men, if you are looking for a wife, Proverbs 31 is written to you. This is what you ought to value as opposed to what our culture and at times your own heart says you should value. In a world that values appearance and personality, God is telling us those things, those things, yes, are important, but man, they can deceive you. They don't tell the whole story quite often. They tell an opposite story of what is truly in someone's life and in someone's heart. What is the important thing, God says, is the fear of the Lord. Interestingly, this is Proverbs 31. Psalm 112 is the corollary for men. It it mirrors so much of Proverbs 31, Psalm 112, uh, but that remember that this is where we started our Proverbs series, the fear of the Lord, right? And so this this concept is uh, picked up many times in the book of Proverbs, but Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And so if you are here and you're not typically Uh, around a, a church and you might be here you know what I came with my mom I want to tell you this is why she wanted you here she wanted you to know she wants you to know that your life and the value and wisdom and how to make it in this world is found in the fear of the Lord it is not found in you making your life work out It is found in the fear of the Lord. The fear, not a cowering in the corner kind of fear, but a reverent awe of who God is, that he is God and you are not. And that sounds like off-putting until you realize that's what you were made to be. And that is, what does it say? Not just this awe of the Lord, but it is the beginning of knowledge that the Hebrew word not only uh, is the word for first, like the first in line, so that would be a beginning, but it's also the foundation and the source of wisdom. So the foundation and the source and the first thing of wisdom is the fear of God. If you start with yourself, your own ability, you've already missed it. Wisdom, knowledge, starts with the fear of the Lord. And that's why the book of Proverbs is not a how-to guide to life. It's a gospel book about the good news of a righteous and holy God saving broken sinners like me and you. It is, as one author said, it is good news for the inept through the wisdom of another. That's what the book of Proverbs is. And so the wise person, the wise woman, is is that of deep humility in the fear of the Lord. And so a wife who, a woman who fears the Lord Who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. And so let's look at a couple different aspects. This is not exhaustive. Uh, There's no way to do an exhaustive look of uh, the amazing uh, beauty and glory that God has given uh, to the women in our lives. But yet, we're going to look at a few points that come out of this passage. And again, not even an exhaustive look at Proverbs 31, but we're going to see that a godly woman is freed by that fear of the Lord. And that those are two words that ought not go in the same sentence. Freed and fear. But that's biblical. So verse 30, you know, that the, the fear of the Lord, uh, the woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. What's going on there is that in that fear fear a woman is not a godly woman is not resting on her own ability but resting on God. and Proverbs 14:26 says it this way: that in the fear of the Lord, one has a strong confidence, and even better, his he's speaking to uh, this in uh, a masculine pronoun, his children will have a refuge is that interesting? It's not just the fear of the Lord is a benefit to the one who trusts in the Lord. The fear of the Lord gives you a confidence and your children a place of refuge. And for a, for a godly mother, how would you have confidence in this life? Is rooted in the fear of God, in the reverent awe and submission to God. And in that, your children will find refuge. That's mind blowing because this world says, Be the one who shows up, be the one that is the best, and in that your kids will have confidence. God says the opposite. You find confidence in Him, and your children will have a refuge. Why? Because He's the living God, He's unmovable, He's the stronghold. Now, we're going to get to the strength of a mom in a second. Don't worry. All right, verse 21 uh, even goes on that she is not afraid of snow for her household. Now, in this in this uh, part of the world, it snows occasionally. It's not like a regular thing. And so she already has, you know, for all her household, are clothed in scarlet. She has She has clothes ready. Uh, for her family. She's not afraid because she is trusting in the fear of the Lord. She is preparing under uh, that trust. One author said that it is the fear of the Lord that drives out all other fears. Amen. And then this verse in verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come what does that mean that you know typically we think of the future as something to be feared or we fret over or we're at least anxious about it the the woman who fears the lord the godly woman laughs at the future sure i have no idea what's going to come but god is with me and i can trust in him as it comes It's not a defiant, come on future, bring it. But it is a sense where, you know what, I do not have to be anxious because I trust in my God who knows the future before it happens. The godly woman is freed by the fear of the Lord. Then we see that the godly woman engages in the battle of life. So, An excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels, right? Well, what's interesting is that word for, uh, you know, an excellent wife, some versions translate it a noble wife or a noble woman, okay? Well, that phrase is literally translated a woman of strength. So the English translations take a lot of leeway in in translating this passage. It's an interesting thing because most of the language is actually military language describing strength. Okay, So literally, it's a woman of strength who can find. uh, And in verse 17, it says that she dresses herself... With strength and her arms are strong. Do you hear the, the idea of strength there? Well, if you have an ESV, look at the footnote of that one. For she dresses herself. Okay? She dresses herself, sounds like she's getting you know nice clothing together. The footnote says she girds her loins. That's a military image. Where somebody is preparing themselves for battle. That she is ready in entering battle. There's a strength in, a, in a, uh, just th- this sense where God is calling w- uh, women into the fight of this world. But what's wild is that it's not a tug of war for power. Our world says a woman should be strong and stand up for her rights in her home. God says a woman should be strong, but she is not in competition with her husband. So it's not a tug of war for power. And what we see there in verse 11 and 12 is the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does, whoops, sorry. Uh, She does him good. And and not harm all the days of her life. Isn't that interesting. So she, yes, there's a strength. Yes, there's a provision. But she is not against her husband. She is actually deeply for him. It's not a tug of war of power. And what's even even more interesting is that word that phrase. No lack of gain. Um, well, the word for gain there is the is the word for the spoils of war or plunder or loot. Think about that in context. That the heart of her husband trusts in her and he, her husband, will have no lack of plunder. We have a military image. Be strong. Gird up your loins. She is the one who is bringing back the spoils of war. It, reality is life is no picnic, and God is calling godly women to be in the battle of this life. She's a woman who's navigating real-world struggles. goes on in verse 15. She rises while it is, is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maiden. Well, the word for food" is actually the word "pray." This is not the dainty little uh, you know picture uh, that we want to paint. This is a, a woman who is active in life and uh, in the middle of battle. She brings back prey for her family. So it's interesting, both real-world struggles. And then the day-to-day challenges of motherhood are very recent. One recent survey uh, of mothers found that moms were the most quizzed people on the planet. On average, from breakfast to like mid-afternoon, the average stay-at-home mom faces one question every two minutes and 36 seconds. (laughs) That's battle right there, right? You know, over a year—that's 105,000 questions that they're going to face, and then questions spike at meal times, um, just because you might be curious. Girls aged four are the most curious—390 questions per day—where boys aged nine. The least, okay? So put that in context. You can take that or leave it, but whatever. But it's real struggles, real battles, real difficulties that God is calling uh, wives, mothers, women into. But yet it's those day-to-day things that just are so overwhelming at times that a godly woman is in the middle of a battle. She's strong, and God calls her into that. But also, a godly woman lives for the benefit. Oops, I should probably put that on the screen. Uh, the godly woman lives for the benefit of others. So, as you look at that passage, and we don't have to have time to go through all of the different aspects, she's trading. Uh, she's involved in the marketplace that brings income into the household she buys land she cultivates it she grows crops uh she she provides food for her family like prey she manufactures things she makes items for the for use in the household she's a hard worker she is not lazy okay whoo all right there's a lot going on in this passage but why does she do all of those things she does all of those things for her family and for people around her. Uh, Tim Keller in his devotional on the book of Proverbs uh, has has a whole section on uh, the idea of of, uh, really kind of rooted in, in Proverbs 31. He says that Proverbs 31 shatters the either or categories of motherhood. You are either domestic or in caring for your family or you are a professional and you're making money. That's not at all what this passage says. It's this passage points to both. This points to the provision and the care for family. Uh, you know, uh, basically, it's deeply involved in, pu- in the public commerce and in the marketplace and taking care of things at home. She, she lives for the benefit of others. Look at verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sits among the elders of the land. Now, this verse is stuck in the middle of buying and selling land, of making stuff, of growing things, of, and all these different things. It's almost as if the implication is that he's able to do his work because of her efforts. That her efforts are spurring on his efforts. Again, she's not in competition Her life is lived out for the benefit of her family, her husband, and others around her. What's really interesting is that it's not just in what she does, it's what she says. It's how she speaks. Verse 26, that she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So that, that phrase, the teaching of kindness, uh, that, that word for kindness is the biblical word hesed. If you've done any word studies of the Old Testament, that's the one you should study. Okay. If you haven't done any of them, start with that one. Okay. It is the hesed of God. And, and that word is basically the Old Testament Hebrew equivalent of agape, unconditional love, in the New Testament it is the word that describes god's covenant faithfulness to his people it is his his hesed as he pursues his people and so the, the actual what's going on there that the teaching of hesed is on her tongue we read that the teaching of kindness now be nice kids That that is way too narrow and way too small of what is happening in the words of wisdom that she is teaching. She is teaching of God's covenant faithfulness to his people. She is teaching of all the implications of that faithfulness to us and how that calls us to live. You know that phrase, train up a child in the way he should go? It's teaching on the loving kindness of God. That, that covenant faithfulness of God that will not leave even in the midst of unfaithfulness back. She is teaching her kids of God's loving kindness and his grace. So that's her words. What happens then in how how that plays out shows up in verse 20. In verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Well, what's the gospel? what's the loving kindness of god that she teaches is god who comes and stoops down for those who are in need and cannot save themselves and he saves us what is what's the expression of care for the poor and the needy it's the tangible working out of the gospel it is she is caring for those who are in need, caring for those who cannot care for this themselves. So the gospel in her heart is not simply spoken; it's lived out for for those who are in need—her family, her husband, the poor, and the needy around her. But get this: notice earlier we didn't read it, but go back to verses eight and nine of Proverbs thirty-one. So, verses 1 through 9 of Proverbs 31 is a mother speaking to her son. Now, the son happens to be a king. But uh, regardless, she is telling her son to do something. And uh, in verses 8 and 9, this is what she instructs her son to do. Open your mouth for the mute, meaning the person that can't speak, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So it's interesting, her teaching is that of the loving kindness and grace of God then her actions are caring for the poor and the needy. And a mom is then also instructing her son here to do the very same thing, to speak for those who can't speak for themselves, to speak for the rights of those who are looked down on, the destitute, to fight for the poor and the needy and the oppressed. And moms, you live in a culture that is addicted to safety. Let's keep our kids safe. Let's keep them from visiting the ER. And I get it. But the gospel did not keep Jesus safe. The gospel sent him to the cross, but in the joy set before him, he endured it. And then as you teach and live the gospel out in front of your kids, encourage your children to fight against evil. And the brokenness of the world to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves, teach them to live out the gospel. And you might say, that's not safe, but in that they will find life. It's a challenge, but it's the gospel, it's where life is really found. It's not in safety. It is in following Jesus. So a godly woman lives for the benefit of others, but that really does express the gospel to their children. And then dads, sons, kids, we're not getting off easy. This one's for us, okay? A godly woman is to be celebrated. So this is the one that got me before I came this morning to already be repenting to Linda, (laughs) to ask for her forgiveness uh, because God has already uh, kind of laid me bare. You may have to do the same, and that's okay. When we stack up against the word of God and we see blind spots and deficiencies, don't hang your head in shame. In repentance, run to the one who heals you by his grace. So dads, buckle up. Verse 28 and 29. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done ec- excellently, but you surpass them all. That idea, that word praise there shows up three different times, and it even shows up later in the passage. And uh, they, they tell... Uh, of what is true of, the, uh, of a husband's wife or the children's mother. It sets this high tone of praise in their home. Is that true of your home? Are the words of praise for the woman that God has put uh, as a mother and a wife uh, in your family, does she hear words of praise and affirmation? Her kids rise up and call her blessed. Where, one author said, where do the kids learn that? Her husband also. Kids learn to praise their mom based on what a dad does and how he speaks over her. Hence, (laughs) me talking to Linda this morning. Because that does not come naturally to me. Uh, it may not come naturally to you, but the idea of we call her blessed is this this multi dimensional the the Hebrew word shalom that uh, that there is a a wholeness to uh, to who she is and a wholeness of what she brings into our homes. In a sense, we're saying by doing that, that we are the ones who are benefiting from all of what she does. What's really cool about that part where her husband also, and he praises her, uh, that's the word um, uh, hala, which is where we get the word hallelujah. So he is, a husband is singing a hallelujah over his wife. Later on, it says in verse 31, let her praise not just be in her home, but be also there at the gates. Praised by her family, praised in the community at the gates. Men, sons, daughters, please don't be passive. So today, when you're around the table with your your mom or your grandma, would you speak words of affirmation and would you speak the words of how blessed you are because of her? Now, repent to your wife in private, but speak these words in public over your wife. So you, because she needs to hear it, but your kids need to hear it as well. Husbands, you might be saying, I'm not sure I can do that because I don't see I don't see much of these things in my wife. I don't see this in my home. And let me submit something to you. The call of the gospel is not, this is a checklist and you stack your wife up against it. The call of the gospel is if you do not see what you are hoping for in your home or in your wife, Ephesians 5 speaks to you. And puts it in terms of the gospel. One author said, if you don't see excellence in your wife, he said, it's your fault, husbands. Here's why. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What do we see in the love of Christ? Is that he, he laid down his life for the church he did that that he might sanctify her which means to make her more holy having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor to catch that he comes and sanctifies the church so he can present the church back to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way, husbands. You should love or husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And then that's what makes sense of this next sentence. He who loves his wife loves himself. That that the the development of and in, in cultivating of our wives and their character and their beauty and their excellence and and all of what God might do through them and even our enjoyment in this life is our responsibility husbands. God calls us to be a part of that development of our wives so that There is a return. And in a sense, just like Jesus presents the church back to himself in splendor, we do the same. And so if you are one who is hypercritical, if I am one, who is hypercritical of the woman that God has given you, Jesus is saying to you in the same way, raise her up. Pursue her splendor, pursue her beauty, make her more and more, uh, just uh, pursue that she is more and more like Jesus so that, so that you uh, might actually uh, find yourself in more and more enjoyment of the gift that God has given. One author said it this way, that we should also be drawn to what a person is becoming not just who they are right now. And I think our world processes it with where are people right now rather than who God is developing them into. Husbands, that's our call. So if you are a hypercritic, I don't think you have a place to stand. It is your call before God to pursue the development and the cultivation of your wife. An excellent, noble woman who can find she is more precious than jewels. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would uh, do an amazing work in us. Uh, Father, thank you for this passage. As challenging as it might be, God, would you, uh, would you, by your grace, develop things in us? Father, for families that need to see the, uh, the words of, of praise and blessing show up in them, uh, God would you allow that uh, as awkward as that might be the first time it happens God would you by your spirit use it that even in uh, in uh, children and husbands speaking that wives and mothers are more empowered for what they are called to before you Father I pray that you would uh, meet us in that would you meet us in uh, sometimes the grief over these things the 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 missing Um, uh, moms or mothers that are grieving. Father, I pray that you would meet us here, that your tender grace would abound. And Father, I pray that uh, you would do an amazing work in us and through us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.